I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken here, joined by David Hartrick, who's just been singing some of Carl Pilkington's greatest remixes to me. How are you doing, Dave? Not bad at all, not bad at all. It might end up being my musical recommendation. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you've just asked me how we're going to get a podcast out of this one, which I think is a fair question, uh, but we'll see how we go. Uh, <laughs> Middlesbrough, Nil, Huddersfield Town, Nil. I think the starting point, obviously, Dave, could have done with a win, but I think more than anything else, it was a, a must-not-lose in this game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the type of game I'm sure we're going to come on to, to um, various things, and I'm probably stealing your thunder slightly, but you know, if you're, I don't know, if you're 10th in the league, you look at that and you go, all right, nil-nil away to Middlesbrough, that's fine. It's another point, isn't it? When you're in the bottom, you think, okay, but it is another point. It is an away point, which are vital. They're still within sort of touching distance, although that gap, you know, they can't afford to let it get too uh, too much further. But yeah, you know, it, like broadly fine does not a good podcast make, does it? Is the issue we've got. <laughs> I think a lot of fans sort of shared our sentiment as well. A lot, a lot of the response seemed to be because you're never sure um, after a draw what the response is going to be. But a lot of the fans seem to just be like, "Yeah, fine, decent point." I think more pleasing than anything else. I mean, it's the first away clean sheet this season. Can look at home and away uh, or neighbours, whichever you prefer. You can look at home or home and away, and I think last season we tried to sort of, particularly second half of the season when they got rid of their awful away form which has been an issue for a while really when you think about it other than a second half of last season um but when they sort of turned their away form around last season we stopped talking about things in home and away terms uh it was more just a you know can they win every game because that was where they were i think now in this relegation battle i think it does revert to you see a point away from home as good and you, mm. you look to build on that in your home games. And I think that's sort of how we looked at it. If this game had been at home, we'd probably be a bit hard, well, quite a lot harder on them for not offering more in attack. But I think after the past few games in particular, it was just good to see a good, solid defensive performance from all 11 players on the pitch at any one time. Yeah, and it like it was a big improvement on the last couple, mm. which is one of the things we asked for. I think getting that clean sheet is quite a big step along the road. Um, but yeah, again, broadly fine, really. I think what was what it is worth saying is they did get a point. There were one or two sort of slightly hairy moments. It wasn't like they were completely comfortable all the way through. But mm. um, but yeah. It, I think the clean sheet is the thing you take from this game, isn't it? Particularly when we've seen the problems Huddersfield Town have had this year. That clean sheet feels like the first step of of getting themselves out of this. Well, I think sort of the key stat is 
it's not like a it's you mentioned they had one or two hairy moments they had three sort of penalty three penalty shouts Middlesbrough did turned down all against Tom Lees I've looked through them all uh for a piece today and just looked sort of reviewing the referees decisions and ex- I particularly wanted to just explain why the handballs weren't given basically but then I thought well since I'm doing this I might as well look at all three incidents I was sure in the ground, and I saw one replay in the ground, which is from sort of the the behind angle. I was absolutely sure Tom Lees had committed a foul, and then when I've looked at it today, I've seen the reverse angle from that, and and I don't think he actually touches him. I think it's more through luck than judgment, but um, there's there's no contact there. The handballs aren't handballs. They definitely hit his arms. Don't get me wrong, but there's no intent, no unnatural shape. Um, considering the position, the uh, the situations, so no penalties, none of them for me. So you can't sort of level that at them. And I don't think, apart from one save from a set piece, I don't think it was the kind of game where they've had to put you know multiple men on the line and they've cleared loads off the line. And Lee Nichols has pulled off you know six spectacular saves or anything like that. It was two shots on target from Middlesbrough all game. It's that is the the pleasing thing for me. It, it was the lowest XG they've let an opponent have against them this season. It's the lowest XG they've allowed opponents have against them since April, in fact. Um, and yeah, I, I think as I say, considering where they were, it's good to see them succeed in keeping a side at arm's length and and defending their their box, which they said was their objective coming into the game. Yeah, very much so, and. I think another aspect of it is Duncan Watmore is a player who's had a field day against a town back line, even when they've been good mm, before. Scored twice um, last year, didn't he? Yeah, so it was it was good to keep him quiet. I mean, Akpom is is uh, I just don't think he's a very good striker, but probably clouded by my view of his his time on loan at Brighton, where he did what all good strikers do at Brighton, which is come <laughs> play about fifteen times and not score a single goal. But Jones, I thought what they did was interesting with Jones. I think yeah. they had to pick Utah. For for his defensive shift against Jones because he is there, he is their danger man, and I think with Tommy Smith on the overlap as well, who's not quite the Tommy Smith of of his Huddersfield Town days, but is still primarily uh, interested, I I would say, in in getting forward and and being played in an attacking sense. Hence the reason you play Paddy McNair that side, who can actually drop in and sit behind him. I think it was. I think it was a good shift down that side, um, and I think we'll co- we'll come on to various bits and bobs. But I think you saw how you play Dwayne Holmes from now on. I want to have a little chat about Dwayne Holmes specifically, but um, yeah, you know, it was good. A little bit, not the nine o'clock news down the uh, down the middle for right, isn't it, Smith and Jones? I'm giving this the exact response it deserves, Steve. <laughs> just so you know, one for the kids there, reference for the kids. Um, yeah, Jones was the danger man. When when we looked at it, I actually wrote about what a big day it was going to be for Ben Jackson um, in my preview because when you look at Middlesbrough, they're the most lopsided side in the division. Like I think it was forty eight percent of their time on the ball is spent on that right flank. He's their lead and assist maker. He scored a couple of goals as well. And as you say, they they I thought Dwayne Holmes and Yutanakiyama did a good job keeping that flank pretty quiet. I think. Utah had a couple of moments where he, he ran into trouble. I think there were three or four times he was carrying the ball out and just sort of ran into an opponent. Wasn't particularly tackled, just sort of ran into people. Um, but defensively, he was absolutely fine. And sort of similar for Dwayne Holmes, who I think on the ball, as we know, sort of is quite hit and miss. But I thought his defensive shift was 
was really really good actually really impressive i mean you you made the the you said to me after the game if he's the way to play Dwayne Holmes really is to put him in that Park Ji Sung dirt count type defensive winger role, isn't it? Just someone who's a lot of hard graft and a lot of defensive work on the flanks. Yeah. I mean, we keep, there's like, I know we've said it before, but we're invested neutrals. So we try and keep the emotion out of the podcast in particular, because we want to keep it analytical and we want to talk about specifics if we can. But, we didn't really go into it, but against Rotherham, as you know, Steve Dwayne Holmes absolutely. I I, I was so cross <laughs> at him, and it was. I don't know if it was the game plan or the way he'd been told to to play, but he was just walking in that ten space. There was loads of space in front of that Rotherham back four. He wasn't creative enough. He wasn't driving, and he was just drifting. He was just permanently on the periphery of the game. He, he only he only touched the ball something like eighteen times in over an hour on the pitch. It was, it was just. It's not how you play him. It's not how you can get the best from him. And I, I kind of, I never really want to see him central ever again in that ten roll, if I'm honest, because I just don't think he gives you enough. I just don't think he's got the natural instinct to know when to sort of quicken it a bit, when to get tight to the striker. And what you, you like Dwayne Holmes is a legitimately good footballer, but you have to play to his strengths. That's the issue. When he's played in a position he's not particularly comfortable, he always stands out as someone you feel like is having a bad game because he does a hell of a lot of his work off the ball. So when you have a player like that, they can look like they're having a bad game really, really easily. Um, you know, and it's not necessarily the case. But what you saw against Borough is exactly as as I said to you. You know, it's play him in the way that Fergie played Park Ji Sung. You know, it's it's you 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 can't do it against every team, but against some teams you do actually need it. Um, yeah. And you look at you look at the way um, Town can set up with Holmes that side. You have to compensate it slightly because you still need the creativity. But uh, you know that. For me, that is his role, and it's not just me that thinks that. Carlos Corbran thought exactly the same thing last season, didn't he? And and played mm. him in that same left hand side on a on a defensive shift predominantly. So, yeah, I think that's his role in the squad. He might not particularly like it, <laughs> but I do <laughs> think that's his role in the squad. And I think, speaking of which. You also saw that the thing I've been saying, which is I think you saw Jack Radona's place in the squad from here. Yeah, first time we've seen Sorba Thomas and Jack Radoni starting uh, on the right wing and at number 10 this season, mm. which feels ridiculous <laughs> 15 games in. Um, I actually only thought to check that just as I was finishing up the conclusions. I was like, wait, is that the first time? And yeah, it is. Um, it was sort of a, a quasi-10. It was a... I wasn't quite sure how to describe the formation, whether it was a, a 4-3-3, a 4-1-4-1, 4-5-1, or I sort of had it in my head as a lopsided 4-2-3-1, where Rudoni was clearly playing a bit further ahead of, of Kasumu, but Kasumu was also in turn playing ahead of Kamara, um, who was the holder midfielder. And I think, you know, we need to give Fotheringham some credit. We've We've had lots of criticisms of him for some things, but I think... Credit for to, for getting that shape right, uh, as as you mentioned with the two defensive fullbacks, realised that they could get away with having. I think you can get away with playing Lees and Helic at this point as a two. I think they're both solid. Helic sort of settled in now. We had some criticism of him early on, but I think he's been maybe Town's best outfielder the past few games or or up there. Um, 
And in the midfield as well, they just had so much space. Um, particularly Kamara had so much time on the ball. And, and Sorba looked happy playing back on the wing as well, back on the right wing. Obviously, with though we're talking about a game where they've they've not scored a goal again. Uh, they had a couple of chances. Sorba put one just wide, didn't he? He hit the bar from mm. directly from a corner as well. Uh, and there was one where there were two balls where Radoni played it through the lines, and um, one in particular for where he played Sorba in up the right, and it was a decent cross from Sorba Thomas. And some people are looking at Danny Ward saying he needs to finish that off. We were sort of sitting in the not you and I, but those of us in the press box were sitting there screaming. For for Dwayne Holmes to make the run to the back post that he that he didn't and if he does I think he gets an easy goal so there's still a lot of work to do in attack but I think I wrote this in the conclusions uh, so sort of apologies if if you've already read that because I went into it in some detail but I thought it was notable in this game we've talked about a few individuals defensive work but across the whole sort of eleven there were lots of tackles lots of interceptions. A lot of them in the town half. I think they'd want to move that further up the pitch. But I think this is what Fotheringham wants. You know, when I've looked, when I've dug into the numbers, the tackles, the the rate at which they're tackling has gone up massively compared with what they were doing under Carlos Corbran or Danny Schofield. I think Schofield wanted them doing it initially, got them to do it against Burnley. And then, it, you know, we saw how that left the team completely stretched and he sort of defaulted to to drop in the side in the way that Gorbran had done. But Fotheringham gradually, I think, is trying to get them tackling across the pitch. And I think this was maybe the first time we've seen that, you know, he's had praise for it and the work that they've done off the ball and their counter-pressing, etc. I think this is the first time we've seen it properly where it's not been ruined by individual errors, marking errors, etc. that we end up sort of talking about instead. And I think the next step now is move that defensive work, that tackling further up the pitch and try and force more errors in more dangerous areas. Because if you can start attacks from there rather than starting them on the edge of your own penalty box, you should, in principle, get a lot more goals. That's the whole sort of principle behind Gagan pressing. You know, town fans who were sort of paying attention under David Wagner will will know that well. But they're not there yet and they've got a lot of work to do to get there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think Carlos Corbran's way of defending was um, quite. It was slightly passive, but it was about control and organisation and having men yeah. basically constantly being uh, constantly doubling up on anyone coming into the attacking space and still having a man over. So the thing is, it wasn't. It wasn't passive is the wrong word, but it wasn't as proactive as Fotheringham wants them to be. Mm-hmm. I think, as you said, he's trying to get them to um, stop, stop letting. So basically, it's sort of the difference between a, uh, letting a team play in front of you and you actually going out and stopping them playing in front of you. Yeah, That's exactly. the thing. That's what Fotheringham's aiming for. And like town had a lot less possession so you know middlesbrough were on the ball a lot more but like 11 more duels won than middlesbrough seven more aerials 10 more tackles nine more interceptions and i know as i said town had less possession so you'd expect defensive contributions to be higher but i've adjusted that, for that in what i'm talking about with my yeah. tackles i've adjusted for how much possession they're having and it's still like 22 yeah. percent up on last season 
Yeah, which is far more proactive than we've seen Town be. And the thing is with how Fothering wants them to play, I think one of the big problems that Danny Schofield had and that Mark Fothering still has now is that a lot of these players are so steeped in Corbran. You know, it's a mm. little bit like when David Wagner went and you had players who were just so drilled and so mechanical in playing one way that trying to break that spell so you can get them to do different things, it does just take a bit of time and a bit of patience. And I think you're exactly right. I think what he's looking for them to do is he's trying to fix a certain part of the pitch and then he will just keep moving it up and moving it up. Whether he's got the personnel to do it right at this second is kind of immaterial. It's trying to force... uh, trying to force a different shape and a different mentality onto the onto the team and then you know then you look at sort of have I got the right personnel to do this do I need to make adjustments etc but yeah it's it's these these little things that they're not I mean, it's not particularly sexy to talk about no. tackling and, and pressing lines and you know <laughs> all that sort of thing but what town haven't got that they used to have is a like a one-man tackling pressing machine which was Lewis O'Brien who Mm. the big advantage for Carlos Corbran is that he could be a little bit more passive and he could just deal in numbers really because he had like a sort of absolute metronomic presence in his midfield who was always always finished the game with most tackles always covered the most yards always won the most duels they're having to compensate for that, you know, and and uh, yeah, it's it's not perfect yet, but I think we said that on the last podcast, didn't we say that needed to be a baseline for poor performances, and we needed to start seeing some things moving. It's not sexy, but this is something that is moving positively. Yeah, I, I think Kasumu is probably the closest they've got to O'Brien, but you know, Kasumu is in his first season in Championship football, where Lewis was in his third last year, so. Mm. Um, I think you know, and you're right. It's I know a lot of people are really turned off by talking about defensive work, but I think it is. It's important not just because they need to be better defensively. You know, that's only their third clean sheet this season, um, but also because of the way that this style works and the way Gagin pressing works is that you that is what is going to produce goals for them is catching teams mid transition yeah. and, and then you hit them quickly on the counter and and obviously if you're starting those counters higher up the pitch you've got a better chance of scoring it's you know Klopp's Liverpool has been built on that over the past however many years and obviously Town did it under Wagner as well this isn't to sort of excuse what's gone before in the previous games because I think even sort of taking that into account you know they were a million miles from good enough against against Preston and against Reading and the errors against Luton and against Rotherham were, were pretty awful um, shooting themselves in the foot but I think it is going to take time and I think to be honest I think even absolute best case scenario it's going to be they're going to need the World Cup break to really sort of nail this down properly mm-hmm. and I think until then it's kind of a bit a little bit make do and they are going to have to find ways different ways to to score goals on the attack and they might have to lean into the set pieces more than they ideally want to but I think this has to be sort of the way round that it is because if if Fotheringham can't get his players doing that defensive side and and getting everyone involved in the tackling, getting everyone involved in the press, then this style just isn't going to work um, at all. And he'll have to, he'd have to look at at something else. 
Um, so I think it is important that they nail this bit down first because otherwise it's just a, a non-starter. Um, yeah. So encouraging to see that sort of starting to, to pay off in this game. Yeah, you, it, he's trying to get the aggression into the team and then he'll yeah. finesse the, the other areas. And I, I completely get that because there's a long way to go. <laughs> there's a long way to go with this side. Um, and it's... You have to start somewhere, and I guess that is as, as good a place as any. What did, I'm interested. What did you think of his changes? Because I wouldn't say he's I wouldn't say he's reluctant to use his subs, but you know, one in the last game, two in this game. I feel like I don't think it's an issue of personnel. I don't think he's looking at the bench and thinking there's no one here I can use. Do you think he's more just trying to? to get his sort of first 11 or his first 11 players to just spend as much time as possible in those new roles and with that new way of thinking? It could be. I mean, we were very critical, and I think rightly so, of of the lack of changes against Preston. I understand yeah. it I understand it more here because the difference is that against Preston, they were a goal down at home and needed something and what they were doing wasn't working. Whereas in this game, I think it, I think it became quite evident sort of 15 minutes from time that they were quite happy to take a point. Um, so when it's when it's working like that and that's the result you want then you sort of stay at it don't you um and yeah the change that he did make five minutes you know he took off ward for roads after about an hour and that was just a straight swap i don't think danny ward had a great game i think that was just to get some fresh legs on mm-hmm. um but he then brought ben jackson on five minutes from time and that was to sort of switch it back to the back five which again sort of says playing for a point here doesn't it Um, that that was the point where they sat back and said mind you I say that they did keep going they did keep trying to find it um, counter attacks they were getting into the borough half even even till late on but um, I don't know I'm I'm not too sure I mean it's something we'll ask about I suppose Um, we asked about after the Preston game about the lack of subs and he did say his answer there was he felt that it sometimes hurts the teams more than helps it Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not too sure. I mean, it was interesting to see John Russell back on the bench. Um talking of substitutes by the way. Um we asked him uh on Friday, you know, I asked him about those those players that had been absent and because he was saying he's, you know, he's sticking behind his players and he's supporting them and I said is that not a bit at odds with your policy of leaving some players out? And he said, "Well, no, cuz like he did i'm paraphrasing here but he basically said you know it's not like they're just sort of been sent away and, and aren't there we're actually doing extra afternoon training sessions with them um and individual stuff to work on the deficits and and i'm out there with them trying to work on that so it's not like they've just it's not like uh and benza and dear mm. and Concolo a few years ago where they were just sent to, to you know train on their own kind of thing so yeah but <laughs> I, th- but. I think I think if you're talking about the th- the what I think they don't have on the bench at the moment is sort of your big impact sub. Um, I think Pat Jones was that, but he's obviously injured at the moment. If Tino Andrin is on the bench, then he's that. But it, I imagine he would normally start, which then means you probably have um, some fresh legs in Dwayne Holmes or Jack Rodoni to bring on instead. Um, what what's your take on it, Dave? <sighs> pretty much exactly that i think it's i i think he i think he wants to keep players out there in the sort of new roles and trying to keep that aggression up and getting them used to it because they have been uh so corber and 
that he's trying to break that. But I think you're exactly right. I, I do think it changes as, sort of the minute Tino Andrian or Pat Jones is available. I think, as you said, the problem is they've got lots of round pegs that go straight into round holes when you put them on that pitch. You know, you, there are lots of like-for-like subs you can do, but there's not that uh, game-changer. You know, that, yeah. that thing where you go, OK, well, now we're going to ask a completely different question for the final 20 minutes. So, uh, you know, I fully concede he hasn't got that at the moment. I think I'd like to see Brahima Diara being given a few more minutes potentially because um, yeah. he, he could do that longer term. I'm not for the minute saying he could do that right at this minute, but the only way we're going to see is if he is given a few more minutes. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But I, just to go back to John Russell specifically, I, I just... I slightly worry for his future because I I feel like the only way he's got a long-term future in this side under Fotheringham is if he essentially changes quite a lot of aspects of his game. Um, So whilst he's in the mix, you know, and he was was on the bench on Saturday, I do wonder longer term if, um, if he can fit into this side because it's just... I think when you look at Fotheringham and we can now see that he does want a bit more aggression, a bit more speed, a bit more press, potentially, like you say, a, a form of Gengen pressing. I just look at John Russell and I think he's almost the sort of complete opposite. opposite. He was so good for Carlos Corbran last year because Carlos Corbran's system of sort of doubling up and constantly putting men in places and trying to sit somebody into the space while you put men into other areas was just perfect for him because it allowed him to do a bit of quarterbacking and sit there whereas I, I just don't think you're ever going to get that in a Fotheringham side the, I sort of think back to when John Russell first came in we were told that they might see him as a bit of a Thomas Suchek Marouane Fellaini type player who plays like an advanced attacking midfielder role but like a big man attacking midfielder who's there to act as a, a target man basically mm. and make late runs into the box and yeah. that that would remove a lot of the defensive responsibility from John Russell. I think he still wants his tens pressing but we're talking about needing a difference maker from the bench um, if he was playing that role and could get to grips with that role that that's what he could be potentially Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I don't disagree with that at all particularly in like Particularly when you're 1-0 down at home to Preston <laughs> and it's the last 20 minutes of a game, you put him in there as somebody who can cause a little bit of chaos in the final third, you know, be it from set pieces or, or any other way. But I just don't see a future for Like, if you, if you took Kasumo or Kamara out of this side, I, I, John Russell is not a natural fit to just replace either one of them no. any, anymore. So, yeah, that's something they need to look at longer term because... We know Jonathan Hogg at this stage can't play every game of every season, and we know he has sort of you know a couple of long-term injury things that have to be managed. So, yeah, there's a little little conundrum there to solve longer term. But yeah, we've done pretty well to get 27 minutes out of this game so far, <laughs> well, Steve. 
something else I wanted to say, and this is it's only sort of writing up the and realizing just how important the the pressing and tackling side is has made me has clarified a few things in my head about Fotheringham style and what he wants. And it has I know one of the criticisms that fans have had. And by the way, this isn't Fotheringham defense cast, no, <laughs> um, no. but. Um, it sort of clicked in my head. Some of the fans have been criticising why are we playing long ball, why are we just knocking balls forward, and I do wonder in certain games that is, and I do wonder how much that is. Look, we're struggling to get through the third, so if all else fails, yeah. just knock knock it long and then just press them and see if we can get something out of it that way. Um, because again, if they're relying on winning the ball in the opposition half to create their chances and they're struggling to get through the thirds, then it's just a way of you know, get it into. It's a bit old school, um, but it's it's just Joe. You know what this? If all else fails, just do that and then chase them down. Mm. Um, Huddersfield Town have had a problem for years now being able to create anything centrally. Mm. So I I, I kind I kind of get it, and like Jack Redone may help that longer term because I believe you can turn him into a, potentially a very good ten. You know, which would help enormously. But like. The only player who's really been effective when he's been played there was Emil Smith-Rowe. You know, they've they've not really had anybody else who's been able to get a real foothold in the centre of the park. Um, so, we shall see. Yeah, I think that's right. Since since Aaron Moy left, isn't it? That's that's where the issue's been. Uh, and we're not talking, you know, Lewis O'Brien obviously did a lot on the ball, but we're talking about a, a ball player, aren't we? Not a ball carrier here. So... Yeah, I'd agree with that point. I mean, we've we've been quite positive there, and we've sort of tried to find some things that are hopeful for the future. But you look at Town's fixture list now mm. over the next few games, uh, and bearing in mind that we're sort of being positive about this result, but I think you know, again, as I put in the conclusions, that that result I think sort of takes a a different complexion if they don't follow it up with a win uh, soon and ideally a win on Saturday against Millwall. Very, very tough game. Millwall have been in really, really good form recently. They've won all of their last four. They've lost six games this season, but all of them have been against the rest of the top seven. And I think looking from the outside, you're saying, wait, so you're asking the team that are sitting bottom of the table <laughs> to beat a team that's, that's fifth and has only been beaten by good sides this season. It's like... Well, yeah, because because when you look at the upcoming games, they don't really get much easier. Okay, a home game against Sunderland after that, that is their, on paper, the easiest of their remaining fixtures at home to Sunderland. But then they've got Blackburn away, um, Blackburn are currently second, and QPR away. QPR are currently top of the league, um, followed by Swansea, who I don't know, I just have a feeling... Uh, well, they're fourth for a start, and I just have a feeling that might be the kind of team Town might struggle to play against. And then it's away to Sheffield United, who are in really poor form at the moment, but were top of the table just a few weeks ago. And who knows, by the time Town play them uh, in a few weeks, they might well have got themselves back in form again. So, you know, they're playing um, five of the top six in the, the coming weeks, and and Sunderland in there as well. So... Yeah, they do need they do need a win, preferably against Millwall. Mm. We we mentioned it on the the last pod, but the 
The problem is every week that ticks by that they don't pick up three points. It just adds pressure onto home games. Yeah. They've got they've got to win their home games, and yeah, it's a massive ask. Millwall are a very very good football inside. Um, you know they play some really really good stuff. They've recruited well. They they you know their part of their game plan is just to create a lot of chances and. You're you're right. They're the sort of team that town can struggle against, but they've got to try and get something. They've got to be proactive. My hot take on Sunderland is that that I don't think they're anywhere near as good as twenty points. I don't quite know how they've got to twenty points, and I'm sure that would upset a lot of Sunderland fans. But we'll see. But I think they have to sort of target that game too. And then in that run, they've just got to try and pick up anything and everything they can. The the one thing I would say is there's going to be a few of these runs before the end of the season because the, the top 12 in that table are so tight. Are so tight. I, I genuinely think this year, right to the end, you're probably going to have the top 10, top 12 are going to be pretty well bunched together. I don't think you're going to get like a... I think you'll probably get Burnley or QPR or someone yeah. break away yeah. at the top. Burnley look really good to me. Yeah, but I don't think you're going to get like a much of a breakaway sort of top six. I don't think it, it, it's so. There's lots of good sides in this division, or depending how you look at it, maybe not good sides, but lots of sides that are okay and are pretty capable on their day. So, yeah, Town have have. It's not going to get any easier for them, and. I think, like I said, I think the thing we need to sort of say, Steve, is that we've podcasted on this game. Neither of us think it was a good performance, but specifically, neither of us think it was a bad performance. And both of Mm. us think, point away from home, defensively solid. Okay, let's let's say that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well, this is it. They've had so many bad performances this season that just being able to say that wasn't a bad performance is is sort of progress, isn't it? Yeah, so the, the difference is now, I think they've got a... Really, we we said it was the baseline against Preston. Really, even if they they don't pick up the points they need, they've got to start moving positively performance-wise. And yeah, it's daunting. It's daunting. But this is a crazy league, so there's absolutely no reason why Huddersfield Town couldn't get themselves together and go on a little run because it's just that that type of league. And you know, ultimately, I remember podcasting with you saying it's a very daunting run coming up for, for Danny Cowley, even though he's only mm. not had long with this side. And then they put together that run that, that basically, although it did, they weren't out until the very end, it was that early run that really saved their season and, and got them a fighting chance. So here's hoping Mark Fothering can put something together. But it's just it's the home game, Steve. They've got to try and, as a bare minimum, not lose the home games. That's the thing. And realistically they've got to try and get more than that they they've got to get three points regardless of who they're playing really yeah particularly because you know i think after preston obviously i think fans i think were disappointed when it's very roller coaster you talk about the county season and it feels very like that it's very um you know they beat Hall and everyone, and they they don't get David Wagner, and everyone's disappointed. Then Fotheringham has his first couple of press conferences, and everyone's sort of like, "Oh, okay," sort of yeah. like the sound of this. Yeah. Then he they <laughs> they beat Hull, and everyone's sort of happy. And then they lose a couple of games, and everyone's <laughs> miserable and thinks he's useless and thinks he's hopeless. I think I'm in all candor, uh, sort of still a bit unconvinced, a bit on the fence. Not because I think he's 
you know, and, and when I say I'm convinced, I don't mean I think he's dreadful and I'm using a euphemism. I mean, I'm sort of still on the fence. I'm still sort of waiting to judge because I think coming in, we know pre-season is, does put him in a different position to, to what Danny Schofield had. Um, but again, as we said last week, they also have hired him and got rid of Schofield because they wanted to see an upturn in points. So, you know, we, we've got to judge it on the results at this point and judge Fotheringham on the, the results. And I think he is... He's notably been a lot calmer the last, as sort of the press conferences yeah. have gone on, he's really sort of calming down. And I think that's settling into the role and also being a bit more cognizant of how things can be, you know, taken out of context or how fans will pick up on certain things that he says that that they don't like. And I think he's been a little bit more careful with his his words now um so hopefully things will will settle down a bit and they can get results to settle the fan base because it's all a bit fractious at the moment and understandably so they're bottom of the league you know we're not i'm not having to go at the fans at all for that so yeah 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 well yeah <laughs> it it just i i think my opinion at the moment is that if i keep if i see them building over the next two games so if i come away at the end of that sunderland game in just over a week's time even if they haven't got say they've only picked up one point from the two games which would be a pretty bad return but I can honestly sit here and say yeah but you can see what they're trying to do they're getting better they need a bit of time they need a bit they're trying to learn I would say I'd be kind of okay with that but there's another part of my brain that goes hang on a sec 24th in the league yeah yeah <laughs> and that's it the, that's that's the sort of you know that's the scary figure in the corner of the room 24th in the league and they cannot afford before that world cup break for that gap to get any bit is it five points at the moment four points five points five, five minimum because of games but in hand et cetera, they, et cetera. Uh, look i'll be honest they can't afford to get to that world cup break and that gap be any bigger preferably it obviously they need to close it but the, it, it can't be bigger than five points so they've got big trouble because trying to sort of close a two to three game gap over the second half of the season is difficult very very difficult and you need a you've got to pick your form up drastically and get somewhere near and give yourself a fighting chance and even then you still spend a lot of time relying on other people <laughs> and yeah, so we'll we'll see. It's a very, I think we've got like just less than a month, haven't we? Do what's it? Three weeks, four weeks mm, for the international break. Yeah, it feels like a very very big part of the season. This to me, a very yeah. important big part of the season. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Uh, anything else to add, Dave? Before we move on to our musical recommendation? No, no. Just congratulations to us for getting to forty minutes on that game. <laughs> yeah uh what are you picking this week uh on your persistent recommendation for over a year and daniel story's recommendation as well i've actually been listening to self-esteem's album ah which is the the it's not usually my sort of thing but i've i've genuinely been enjoying it as has my wife who has become a bit of a fan instant prioritize pleasure yes yeah excellent oh there you go uh what am i going for i never think about this in advance oh do you know what i went to see uh japanese breakfast on friday and they're really good um obviously you know been listening to them for a while it's the second time i've seen them uh my favorite bit of the gig dave was uh she said she's 
sort of Korean American. And she said that they've been going around the UK on the UK tour, um, trying like local delicacies. And she had like a, a roast dinner so she could have Yorkshire pudding and gravy. And that got a massive cheer out of the crowd, <laughs> like massive cheer for Yorkshire pudding, then a second cheer for, for gravy, which uh, what a crowd. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, their album from last year, Jubilee, uh, is a lot of fun. It's not my favourite of theirs, but it's the most recent one and probably the most accessible. So yeah. there you go. Japanese Breakfast Jubilee. Dave, thanks for joining us. We'll no speak problem. to you next time. Goodbye. That'll do. Uh, <laughs>